Staying true to America's national destiny, the voice of the awakening. Your host, Bishop E. W. Jackson. Well, we're in a series, and the, you know, the Lord gave me this message. I didn't realize until after he gave it to me that it's, it's, it actually fits into the series because I was thinking of convocation and doing something to honor our convocation, but this actually fits into the series. So this is going to be part five of this series, How to Be Successful. But I call this message, First the Cave, Then the Crown. First the Cave, Then the Crown. And my text is 1 Samuel 22, verses 1 and 2. And it says simply, David therefore departed from there, and he's escaping from Saul, King Saul, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him and everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them and there were about 400 men with him. And then the fifth verse says, now the prophet Gad said to David, do not stay in the stronghold, depart and go to the land of Judah. Now, you know, David is introduced to us in a very dramatic way, right? As a, as a character in the Bible, because the most famous man in Israel shows up at his house. And you know, during that time, there was no text. Say, hey, Samuel's heading to your house. <laughs> you know, he didn't make a phone call, say, hey, Jesse, can I come over for dinner? He showed up. <laughs> And, and this is the most famous man, the prophet and judge of Israel shows up at Jesse's house. Of course, David is, is one of eight sons because God told him to go to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, because God had rejected Saul from being king, right? And he says, I've chosen somebody myself. In fact, uh, 1 Samuel 16, 1 says, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Amen. So 1 Samuel 16, verses 10 um, says this, Then Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Seven of his sons passed by, and God said, No, none of them. So this is the dramatic moment of David's spiritual breakthrough when he's anointed to be the next king of Israel. Now remember, he's a very young man at the time. We don't know exactly how old, probably 17, 18 years old maybe. But it would be years, years of trial and trouble and tribulation before what God said at this tender age to this young boy actually came to pass. Now, I want you to just contrast that with the age of the instantaneous, where everybody wants everything now. You know, they say kids, kids are now saying, I'm, I'm not going to flip hamburgers. I did. <laughs> Flipped hamburgers. Um, I was saying on one of my podcasts, I don't know whether I've ever shared this with you all, but when I got out of, well, I was still in Marine Corps, and obviously Marine Corps wasn't paying a corporal that much money but I have a wife and child. And because I was working at Naval Air Station South Weymouth, I had pretty much, except when I had weekend, I had uh, weekend duty at time because it, it was a reserve station as well. And we trained reservists, Marine Corps reservists. And so I had to be there all weekend for duty when that happened. And sometimes had to be, of course, on all night duty 
because we had guard duty in the Marine Corps. You have guard duty no matter where you are. Um, but other than that, I got to leave basically about five or six o'clock and go home. So I got a part-time job cleaning toilets and was proud of it because there wasn't a whole lot else I could do. I actually, I, 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 I took a part-time job with an office cleaning company and because I was low man on the totem pole, they said, you go clean these. And I said, okay. <laughs> and I did. You know, I worked my way up to actually dusting off desks. I mean, I was a man on the move. But, but nowadays, who I'm not, I'm not doing that. You know, they want to start at the top. And, and by the way, social media kind of teaches you this, because now, you know, you, if you're willing to do something either crazy or very sexual, on social media, you can become famous almost overnight. Actually, make some money too, becoming a quote unquote social influencer. So we, we live in a world now where people want, they want it right away. Amen, they, they don't wanna, they don't wanna have to, my wife and I paid off school loans for years. And not only for ourselves, but for our children as well. Nowadays, cancel my debt, I shouldn't have to pay anything. The taxpayers ought to pay it for me. And you got people say, that's right. That's not right that they have all this debt. Well, well, if it was right that they signed up for it. <laughs> I mean, so we, we start out having to, to work and pay the debt. No, no, no. We, I want that wiped out right away. Everything is instantaneous in this day and time. Amen. But you know, God's way is different, isn't it? See, because people want the outside to look good. I mean, and, and, and look, we're, we're all subject to it. I said, I turned 30 years old and I had an idea in my head as a kid that when I turned 30, I was gonna buy a Cadillac. I wasn't a bit more ready to buy a Cadillac than the man in the moon. But you know, yeah, why not? I needed a few more years down the road <laughs> before I could afford that car. But, but that's, that's the nature of our culture today, amen? Amen. Amen. And so, so people want it right away because they want the outside to look good. But God doesn't work from the outside in. God works from the inside out. See, God wants to take the time to focus on character and decency and honor and morality. He wants, he wants to see, he wants us to be attracted to him on the inside. He's not so concerned about us being attracted to people on the outside. Amen? Amen. Now think about this. I just heard this past week, uh, Bill Gates was apologizing for his association with Jeffrey Epstein. A Jeffrey Epstein, billionaire, pedophile, sexual degenerate, had enough money to buy his own island and, and, and bring people there to do all kinds of unspeakable things. And he had a bunch of wealthy, prominent people going along with him. Because, hey, he's got a private plane, and hey, he's got his own island, and well, you know, he's got some other things too, and why not? So Bill Clinton, Bill Gates, uh, and a bunch of other folks all got involved with Jeffrey Epstein because he had the outward accoutrements. Amen? He was successful, and that was all that mattered. See? But the man was just, he was a moral sewer. 
and and I haven't heard yet from the person, even the even Prince um, was it Prince Edward? I think I think it was Prince Edward, Andrew. Prince Andrew, Prince Andrew, uh, out over there hanging with him. And I haven't heard the person yet say, "Yeah, I was invited, but I knew what he was up to, and I wasn't participating in that." I could tell you a story about a very prominent minister happens to be black. Um, that I was talking to a member of the Kennedy family many years ago when I was still a Democrat, and um, I was talking about people in ministry in the party and and the influence that they could have because I was a Christian, but I hadn't yet fully understood the implications of where that party was going. And I brought up this very prominent minister and said, well, you know, you, you've got that, that person in the party and, and surely he can help people to, to understand some of the moral implications. The person laughed in my face, literally, literally, prominent member of the Kennedy family, laughed in my face and said, what, what you think he's a Christian or something? Seriously. And then I found out, you know, he was a regular attender at the Playboy Mansion and all that. So, you know, because after all, um, Hugh Hefner's rich. Look at the beautiful house he's got and all the money he's got. All outward, all superficial. And God wants to work on us from the inside. Amen. Amen. Jeremiah 9.23 says, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. In other words, don't be caught up with your money. Don't be caught up with your status. Don't be caught up with your position. Don't be caught up with your fame. Don't be caught up with your influence. He said, but that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. Meaning what? I delight on what's in the heart of a person when their heart is set on me. Amen? Amen. Amen. So when Samuel arrives to anoint the next king, now remember who we're dealing with now. We're dealing with a man who was walking and talking with God. There's no question about it. Since a very early age, when God spoke to him in the temple and called him, and Samuel thought it was Eli calling him. And he kept going to Eli, said, you called me? Eli said, no, I didn't call you. You called me? No, I didn't call you. Finally, he said, that's the Lord calling you. Oh, Sam said, oh. <laughs> oh. He said, you, when he called you, he said, you say, speak, Lord. Your servant hears. I say, I, I say the same thing to God myself in my prayer life. I said, Lord, speak. Your servant hears, and I will obey. It says, but this is the prophet Samuel, great man of the scripture. It says in the uh, uh, 16th chapter, 1 Samuel, beginning at the 6th verse, it says, so it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Now, this is Samuel. This is a man of prophetic insight. But he looks at Eliab, Eliab I'm just guessing, probably 6'2", 6'3", broad shoulder, narrow waist, buffed, got nice looking guy. He looks at him and says, man, that's got to be the one. Says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. Now, you know, that's a little bit of a rebuke to Samuel because he said, I'm not thinking about him. Don't, don't look at him. <laughs> Come on, Samuel, don't look at him. I've already rejected him. Wow. God is letting Samuel know you haven't arrived either because you're looking in the wrong way. Amen. He says, for the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, appearance, 
but the Lord looks at the heart. So see, Samuel's thinking, he looks like a king. He stands like a king. Look at him, upright stature. They probably stood head and shoulders above his other brothers. He's good looking. And this has got to be, the, he, he looks the part. But God looked at his character and said, no. No, he's not, he's not the one. Amen? Amen, amen. Now look at beginning at the 11th verse. Um, when this happens, Samuel says to Jesse, are all the young men here? Because now what that suggests is that Samuel's a little confused because he's thinking, well, you told me to anoint one of these young men king and you told, just told me you've rejected them all. So now does he have any more sons? That's what Samuel's thinking to himself. And then Jesse says, there remains the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. I would imagine that they were in the house. David's out in the field somewhere, maybe can barely be seen. And Jesse just kind of cavalierly says, cavalierly says, yeah, there, there's that one out there. And he didn't bring him in. And I have a feeling because the Bible says that David was a nice looking young man, but I have a feeling that he just saw him as too young and too immature. That he just, he, he, why, why even bring him in? He's clearly not ready. And I'm not sure that Jesse fully understood what was happening. He just knew that the man of God had showed up to bless him in his household and he was wanting to anoint one of his sons. He may have kind of surmised what was going on, but I don't know that his mind had gone far enough to think he's here to anoint the next king. But whatever he was there for, he didn't see David as qualified. He didn't even call him in. Even, even David's own father didn't see in him what Jesse saw. I mean, even David's own father didn't see in him what God saw. So Samuel said to Jesse, send him and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy. I mean, he was kind of a reddish. Some people implied that he might have had reddish hair. Um, he said, with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. I guess when he walked in, Samuel felt the anointing of God said, this is the one. This is the one. And I would imagine Jesse and his brothers said, what? That little runt, the baby of the family? It says, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. From that day forward. See, here's what God was saying. This one has the heart I'm looking for, the, the obedience I'm looking for, the honor I'm looking for, the humility I'm looking for, and don't forget this one because this is a critical quality. If we're going to be successful walking with God, this one is teachable. See, we learn about Eliab. See, I think Eliab was a big know-it-all. I think he's probably the eldest thinking, I got this. <laughs> I, I know, I know. In other words, he's full of himself. And God couldn't tell him anything. He, he, you know what he was more? He was more like Saul. You know, Saul, Bible, Bible says that God said to Saul when you, that Samuel said to Saul, when you were little in your own eyes, that didn't last long. Because Saul became pretty big in his own eyes. And once that happened, he, he didn't want to hear what God said because he already knew. Oh, yeah, yeah, you were late, and I wanted to offer the sacrifice. So it's, it's, take care of Samuel. Don't, don't worry about it. 
I got it. And when it came to the Amalekites, who you supposed to destroy? Well, I, I know, but after all, as king, I saw something here, which is all the best of the, of the rams and the lambs and, 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 you know, I wanted to spare certain things, you know, to offer up as a sacrifice to God. God doesn't know he wants that, but I'm going to show him. Not, not teachable. And, you know, God can't abide and know it all. You ever met those people? Whew. I just tell my children whenever, when they were growing up, I would tell them something. They say, well, Daddy, I know. I said, no, you don't. Because if you knew, I wouldn't have to tell you. <laughs> no, you don't know. <laughs> you know. But typical, oh, no, Daddy, I know. No, no, you don't. Don't be a know-it-all. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So in, in 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter, 28th verse, you see something of Eliab's character. Or Eliab, um, you see something of his character. It says, now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. David had gone down to the camp where Goliath was fat-mouthing and telling everybody what he was going to do to them and how bad he was and send me out Saul and I, I'll whip anybody in your camp, just, you know, and all of that. So David shows up, you know, basically with some food for his brothers, and he starts asking about this uncircumcised Philistine challenging the armies of the living God. <laughs> and, and Eliab hears him because he, he says, what is the king going to do for the man who kills this uncircumcised Philistine? Eliab overheard him say, his oldest brother said, when he heard him speak, he said, his anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? He's jealous. He's jealous of him. He hasn't even, even done anything yet, but he's jealous of him. And I think what happened there is one of the reasons why Eliab was not the one, because he was already looking down on his brothers, and particularly David, and thinking he was better than they were. How could you choose this idiot over me? So it says, he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? L listen to that. You know, the condescending put down. You had a few sheep to take care of, and you couldn't even do that. Now you'd have left that and come down here to make mischief. And then he says this, and this is telling. I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. He's talking about himself. He's projecting onto David what he's thinking. He's the proud one. He's the one with an insolent heart. But he projects that onto David because, see, here again, prideful people, it's never me. It's got to be you. Because I'm fine. You've got the problem. You know, it's like the apology. Well, I'm really sorry that you can't see it the right way. That's an apology? <laughs> you know, right? I apologize that you're not smart enough to see this. I know your pride and insolence. You come down here to see the battle. In other words, he's thinking... You just want to be a spectator and want to watch blood be shed. I mean, what, what, a, what an insult. So David, of course, we know the story. He ends up ultimately being singled out as the most famous man in Israel, probably next to Saul, because he goes down there and fights Goliath. Before that even happens, by the way, um, he's selected to be Saul's armor bearer before he even shows up. And there's some scriptures I can show you to reconcile those two, because a lot of people suggest, well, 
that that sounds like Saul doesn't know him. Saul doesn't know him as a warrior. So when he comes up and says, I'll fight him, Saul said, boy, go back and play a harp and, you know, do what you do. He had heard that he was a fighter because of his prowess in, in protecting his flock, but he had, I mean, to, to, in Saul's mind, in the minds of the army, they see Goliath, people suggest, might have been about eight feet tall. They saw him as being 20 feet tall. Like, you know, I said, and Saul, the, Saul, the Bible says, was taller by a head than anybody else in Israel. So Saul was apparently a very tall man. I don't know what that means for that day, because uh, people weren't tended not to be as tall as they are today. But I mean, 6'2", 6'3", maybe. But he was a very tall guy. Uh, but Saul realized that in a case like this, he needed to be in the rear guard giving instructions. He was too valuable to go out there and face Goliath, <laughs> even though I'm sure that's what Goliath wanted. He figured, I killed the king and it's over. So, so David goes out and fights Goliath and becomes famous. People start singing songs about him. And you think, wow, look at this. Look at how quickly this is happening. David is already famous. David is on his way. Not so fast. Not so fast. Because, and, he, and look, David is a human being just like us. You know what I think David is, David is thinking? David is thinking, man, I see how God is going to do this. It's, it's obvious. Saul likes me. I'm his armor bearer. Saul's going to either die or Saul's going to, to get killed in battle. Something's going to happen. And then just hand over the kingship with me. I'm his closest aide. Easy. Easy peasy. Everything's working out, Lord, just the way you planned. And then things took a turn for the worse because that, that envy, that jealousy that is in Saul emerges with, 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 with the force of a, of, a, of a lion. And he becomes monstrous toward David. And, and so instead of his career looking up, I mean, everything goes sour very, very quickly. And of course, Saul starts to, the, the more he rebels against God, the more he kind of loses. As I've said, when, when you reject God, you just go stupid. Well, in some cases, when you reject God, you just go crazy. I think we're seeing more and more than that in our culture today, where people are just going crazy. You heard about the one, th this, I, I, this is happening both in California, La La Land, and in England, where they are arresting guys who have raped women. They're convicted of raping women, and then the guys say, oh, but guess what? I'm really a woman. And the California penal system, they're doing the same thing in England, says, oh, okay, well, if you really mean that sincerely, we'll put you in the women's prison. And when they do that, guess what happens? Women get raped. Now, you would think, duh. I mean, any, you could ask a 12-year-old, a, a, a would, would is that a good idea? And they said, no, that's, that's crazy. And you've got educated people doing this, thinking that they're doing some great thing. I can only describe that as a kind of mental illness, delusion. So without God, you don't go, just go stupid. You really go crazy. I mean, because, you know, you, you got guys. And, and by the way, um, the laws in some of these very liberal states are being written to say, and I'm not exaggerating at all to being written to, to say, you can look like a man, 
you can act like a man, have the voice of a man, you can dress like a man, but if you say you're a woman, that has to be recognized by law. So that means you got Bubba with a great big beard, you know, he, he's, all, he's, he's strapping with his overalls on, and he walks up and says, I want to use the ladies' restroom. And when you say, no, Bubba, that's for you. I am a girl. No, you're not. By law, I am. By how? Because I say I am. Oh, well, excuse me. Go right ahead. I mean, that's insane. Because all it does is open the way for predators to be able to go in and take advantage of, of females by, with that ruse. I mean, the, look, criminals are stupid enough that they think they can prosper with crime, but they're not dumb, they're cunning. So they know, oh man, we got a loophole. Because you know, somebody was pointing out, by the way, the female prisons are far less secure and, and, the, and the treatment is far less strict. And so the guys know, well, if I become a girl, man, I get to live in a much better circumstance. And then when I leave prison, I can just go back to being a guy again. And then I got access to women too. I mean, bro, Bob, you worked in prisons. I mean, imagine a bunch of guys getting together and saying, hey, I got, a, I got an idea. What? Let's just say we're women. What, what do you mean? If we say we're women, they've got to put us in the women's prison. Really? Yeah. Yep. You call me John, call me Julie from now on. <laughs> I mean, it would be funny if it weren't so tragic. Well, look, so David now finds himself as an outlaw, thinking he was on the trajectory to become king. He's instead an outlaw. So here's, here's a second point I want you to understand. Fulfilling your destiny and succeeding at what God has called you to do is not a straight line trajectory. You know, I think Christians sometimes think that, well, if God called me to do something and I start on that, then that should just unfold pretty smoothly. No, it doesn't work that way, which is why you've got to be clear on what God has called you to do, because if you're not, either you shouldn't be doing that, or you should have the fortitude to understand that this is what God calls me to do, and whatever trouble comes, I just have to deal with it. Maybe you shouldn't be doing it, but that's something you have to work out with God, amen? But you can't determine that by trouble. Well, there's so, there's so much trouble. God can't be, this couldn't be what God called me to. Yeah, it could. So, because we live in a fallen world, and because life, it's just the nature of the world we live in. Amen? It's going to be changed, but right now, that's the world we live in. And look, when God shapes your character, as he is shaping your character, he is teaching you to deal with the vagaries, the vicissitudes, the challenges, the problems, the issues, the mountains that appear before you. Because look, saints, if God didn't strengthen you to do what he's called you to do, you couldn't get it done. You just couldn't do it. There are too many reasons along the way to quit. And we both know any minister who's been at this a while knows ministers who quit because they couldn't handle it. They just couldn't handle the pressure. They couldn't handle the heat. They couldn't handle 
the rejection that they sometimes deal with. They couldn't handle the betrayals that they sometimes have to face. And they just get, you know what? I, forget it. I'm going to do something else.